0: morning Uh, it's good to be back in the house after about seven months away Um, it was amazing having technology that made church happen during the pandemic Um, if you don't know me tim already introduced me i'm nathan i'm an introvert he adequately described me that i like talking less in front of people than him probably i think so Um, so i'm known to slip out of the door you know immediately after service usually the back door Uh, I stand in corners with other introverts, you know, talking, not really talking, staring at our feet. So this is a bit of a stretch this morning. So if it goes awkward, it's okay. Luckily, Tim's sitting in the front row, and I know he can run really, really fast. So if I run for that door or that door, we know he's going to catch me. (laughs) But what you may not know about me is I like questions. Or at least I like questions before about 4 o'clock at night when my brain shuts off. I'm a very morning person. And I like asking hard questions, specifically of my students. It's really fun to watch them squirm, right? So we're going to ask some hard questions this morning. And we've been doing that as a church for months. What was the most profound thing that you learned in the last 16 months? Take a moment to think about that. If you're online... Feel free to type it into the chat box as long as it's appropriate. Are there things that over the last 16 months you felt were challenged? Are there things that you never questioned that now that you look back, you say, gee, I really should have questioned that? Are there people in your lives that you've realized look at life differently? People you've known for 20, 40, 50 years, they look at life differently. And then you learned you needed to love them anyways, even though they do that? Okay, so now the juices are flowing in our brain, I'm hoping. We hear that light bulb starting to do the bzzz. You know, we're starting to wake up. Maybe the caffeine level's kicking in. But we're not quite to the point where steam is coming out of our ears. So let's ask another question. A question that we should be asking every single week as Christ followers. What did we learn about Christ? This week in our relationship with christ what did he show us take a second to think about that what have you learned it's something that we need to be asking these questions they may be hard or they may be easy it may just really depend on our life this week if it was an easy week or if it was a hard week it may actually depend on if we have caffeine coursing through our blood so we're awake if we're one of those individuals Asking questions is good. And over the last few months when we've done the catechumenic with Whitworth, we've been asking these hard questions. We've gotten really good at asking them. The problem with asking questions is sometimes they become really uncomfortable. Think about a time when somebody asked you a question about your faith or your life that you just couldn't answer. Was that uncomfortable? How did that feel? take a moment to think about some of the questions that we've asked questions like who is the holy spirit who is or what is the trinity i'm glad i didn't get that sunday to preach (laughs) what is the redemption or how is redemption perceived who is jesus what is the kingdom of god and is the kingdom of god the same as the kingdom of heaven we see it said multiple different ways throughout scripture Can these questions be answered easily? Even if we studied all our lives and we had one of those fancy PhD things that says, hey, we're an expert, do you think we can answer these questions easily? I would bet that in 40 years, most of us would still be sitting in this room. We would still be asking these same questions. We'd be asking, you know, what is the kingdom of God and how does it relate to eschatology? Now, there's a PhD word I'll let you Google after service if you don't know it, or do I believe in dispensational or inaugurated eschatology? Or really, now that we've used that word three times, what does that word even mean? Okay? Just as we think that we are to the point where we have an answer, a black and white answer that fits perfectly with the mold of who we are, we realize that, hey, that answer, it's fallen apart, and there may be more sides to it than we realize. And we realize that it's really hard to figure out this infinitely, unfathomably, complex, triune God who we worship. And it's infinitely hard to try to figure out how we fit into that picture. So, before I fully explain the kingdom of God in, oh, 23 minutes, um, we probably should pray. Father God, we ask that you bless our time in the word this morning. Let what you want be said. And let everything else that's been prepared just go to the wayside. We ask that you be present with us this morning. Amen. So what is the kingdom of heaven? If you were to sum it up to someone, how would you explain it? If you were talking to your child or your grandchild, or even better, the person sitting in the cube next to you at work, or, well, a lot of that back section's retired, so... uh, Person not sitting next to you in the pew, but maybe a friend who's next door. How would you explain it? You see, I grew up as a Bapto-Quaking Lutheran, okay? And that's a true denomination. Uh, much like the Pres, the Metho Presby Lutherans and the Four Assembling Roman Reformed Anglicans, these are all real denominations. Okay? But my family, we were definitely Bapto-Quaking Lutherans very very heavy on the back I mean on the Lutheran side of things in fact my brother's a Lutheran pastor today but what all these churches had in common was the idea and the desire to talk about the kingdom of God to understand it now the way that they approached it could have been very different because people are very different but they were very concerned with this idea of the kingdom of heaven and how people should understand it and be part of it Perhaps you remember growing up some of the tangible object lessons you learned about the kingdom of heaven. Or if you didn't grow up in the church, maybe when you first encountered Jesus and you dove headfirst into the gospel, what some of those object lessons that you read, some of those parables you read. And I'm going to paraphrase these because I'm not good at reading um, into Nathan's interpreted version of the Bible. So if you catch that, that's NIV. Um, That's different than the North Idaho version of the Bible, by the way. Um, But so the wording may be off, but the gist will be the same. Maybe we recall some life lessons about seeds. You know, the kingdom of God is like my grandpa. My grandpa had a wildflower garden along the side of his driveway. And every spring he would sow seeds onto that ground. Some would fall on the rocks because, you know, we don't have great soil around here. Some would fall in the driveway. Some would fall in the cracks of the driveway but some would fall in the actual good dirt and it would be great that's how the kingdom of god is or perhaps the kingdom of god is like my neighbor who's sowing a brand new yard okay she's got a whole bunch of grass seed she's got lots of little kids and she scatters that seed everywhere and no matter what she's doing that grass grows no matter what time it is, no matter how much her kids are driving her crazy, whether she's cooking or sleeping or whatever, the kingdom grows like that grass. Or perhaps one that I didn't rewrite is, "The kingdom of Heaven is like a teeny tiny mustard seed. And when it's planted, it becomes huge. And I mean, huge. And if you had a good Sunday school teacher like I did, they would hand you, well, I didn't get a mustard seed, but I got a pine tree seed because we live in the Northwest. They'd hand you a little pine tree seed. They'd take you out to the backyard of the church and you would look at this tiny little seed and you would say, oh, that's so tiny. And then you would look up at this 100-foot pine tree and you would say, whoa, the kingdom of God is that unique. It is that awesome. It is that amazing. It's a place we want to be. Or perhaps as we're going through scriptures, we would see the kingdom of heaven is like somebody buying a pearl, okay? They find the best pearl out there and maybe another analogy would be good, but they go out and they buy a pearl, and they sell everything they have to get that pearl. Now, this parable comes along line with another one that I think could be said with, the kingdom of God is like a matchbox car. I bet you don't find that in our current translation, but it's like the matchbox car that a kid loses in a playground, okay? and it gets lost deep in that pea gravel. Another boy comes along at recess and he's digging and digging in that gravel because that's what little boys do. And he finds that car. And he's amazed, he's impressed. His friend asks for that car, but he won't trade that car for anything, even a king size Snickers bar. And we know that king size Snickers bars, those are the best bars out there, right? <laughs> lots of calorie, lots of chocolate, lots of stickiness. He won't trade it for that. The kingdom is that precious. I love the imagery that we see throughout the Gospels about what the kingdom of God is. There's other imagery in the Gospels that I just really haven't been able to connect to, like fish and fishing. You see, fish really wasn't a positive aspect of my childhood. And I can tell you stories afterwards about that. But fish just wasn't something I liked. So we get to parables about the kingdom of heaven being like a fisherman who pulls in his nets, and he gets some fish, and he sorts them out. And I think, ugh... Fish, I don't like fish, but it's a good parable. And then we get to other parables that really connect with me. You see, I like to bake, and all through COVID I've been baking sourdough from Frank's starter, Um, but I learned to bake from a young age from my grandma. So the kingdom of heaven, it's like my grandma, when she's got a big bowl of flour, eight cups of flour, feeding a large family, and she drops in the teeniest, tiniest bit of yeast. And in four hours we come back and we make cinnamon rolls that's how the kingdom of god is it grows substantially it grows fast so as we sit here scratching our heads thinking about what the kingdom of god is and how it has been explained to us over the years it's really easy to brush past these stories think back to how long you've been a christian how many times have you read the gospels you see i read the gospels a couple times a year probably good portions of them And you start adding that up, okay, 23 years of reading the Gospels a couple times a year. I've read these stories a lot. It's really easy for these stories to grow stale. But if we sit with them with a new eye and look at them, we realize that we may grow unsettled. We should have questions. Questions are important when we come to these. They're not always clear-cut. If we move past the idea of looking at what the kingdom of God is, we find other passages that talk about how hard it is to get into it. Take, for example, Matthew 19.24. And we've probably all heard this before, but Jesus is talking and he says, It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to go into heaven. What do scriptures like Matthew 19.24 say to us? It's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. That's real, a real good analogy. I mean, it's a real struggle. You may not feel rich. I know sometimes I don't feel rich, but when you do some solid research in our country, you're gonna realize that we are all rich. Here's a statistic that I found interesting. If you take the bottom 20%, okay, the, the bottom 20% in our country who are really struggling, those people who receive government subsidies to help feed them, to help provide for their kids. If you take those kids with the subsidies and you regroup them into their own group, their own country, they're still far more wealthy than most first world nations. So as we approach this passage where Jesus says it's hard for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven, it makes me ask questions. It makes me grow unsettled. How can my wealth, even when I don't feel wealthy, affect this? Or really, is it even about my wealth? I have questions. You should have questions. I grow even more unsettled when I hear passages like Matthew 21:31, where Jesus says, "I tell you the truth, corrupt tax cluster, clack, duh, I told you I can't read. Uh, corrupt tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of heaven before you do." This makes me want to say, seriously, Jesus, dude, I'm a product of the 80s and 90s, so dude is a, a good word there, but seriously, Jesus, dude, these people will get into heaven before I will? Maybe as you're approaching scripture, think about other people who might be written into this discussion today. and maybe other people besides tax collectors and prostitutes who we sometimes say they won't get into the kingdom of heaven. Take a moment to think back to this uh, passage that Elena wrote at the start of the service that came from Luke 9, 57 through 62. As I heard this passage, it made me feel unsettled. It made me have questions. What do we do with this? I know for certain there are times in my life where I've looked back. There are times in my life where life's obligations have gotten in the way. Am I not going to the kingdom of heaven because of that? So on one hand, we have Christ telling us all these analogies, okay, of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And on the other hand, we have all of these ideas of how hard it is to get into the kingdom of heaven. And at this point, all these questions start making the cogs in my brain spin. Then we start hearing him talk about what it may look like and when heaven starts. And this is usually the part where I have to stop and get a drink of water, so we're going to just pause. So we get to this part where we have these two different things going on. We have how hard it is to get in, and we have what the kingdom of heaven is like. And this is where I start thinking about juggling, because my mind works that way. I can think, okay, this is a lot like juggling. Um, I'm not a very coordinated person. I can keep a ball in the air maybe about 50% of the time, one ball, okay? I know people who can keep two balls in the air, you know, 50, 70% of the time but three balls six balls seven balls eight balls on this topic alone it gets hard there's a lot of questions so at this point after we've gotten to these two concepts it's when my head starts hurting because there's just too much to think about and then we get into accounts like matthew 12 through 32 where jesus is casting out demons and the religious teachers at the time they come to him and say Are you casting these out because of Beelzebub? And the conversation goes back and forth. And Jesus says, well, Satan can't cast out Satan. Silly religious teachers. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of heaven has come upon you, he says. The kingdom of heaven has come upon you? There's another question. What does that mean? If we were to jump to another gospel, jump to the gospel that dr luke wrote we would see him writing the account of jesus sending out the 72 into ministry ahead of him okay and we'd hear jesus say something like heal the sick and then tell them the kingdom of god has come near you if we jumped into mark's gospel we would hear mark say something along the lines of well it's really jesus saying this but he wrote it down we would hear him say the kingdom of god has come upon you and then he would take it with repent and believe this is right after john the baptist was thrown in prison so as we look at these passages it sounds a heck of a lot like the kingdom of god has already come it's not this future concept that sometimes we get stuck on but then it gets even more complicated and i'm going to let elena cover this next week she'll do a much better job Um, but if we look at passages like luke 17 luke 19 Luke 21, and a whole long list that she's got at home, it totally sounds the other way. It sounds like the kingdom of God is this future thing, this thing that we're looking forward to. And I'm sure she'll do great at that next week. So what we see here is that a a paradigm quickly emerges. If we study scripture holistically, we see that the kingdom of God has already come through Christ, yet it's also something that's in the future, and that should perplex us. How can something both be now and something both be in the future? And if we were in my group of sci-fi friends, we'd have a discussion about timelines and how time's not all linear and all that, but that's not really where we're going today. But, you know, if we had been here for the last 10 years, and I know most of you had, and we listened to Pastor James preach, Pastor James often uses this idea of looking at scripture through our own lens. The lens that we look at scriptures through is one that makes one passage jump out one week, and then the next week it seems quite plain. It is what makes reading the Bible mixed with the Holy Spirit, you know, we talked about the Holy Spirit a few weeks ago, that person, or is it a she or a he, Uh, when we read the Bible with the Holy Spirit, the passage becomes alive and active and breathes fresh new life into it. And in our church, we passionately believe that the Bible speaks today. It spoke in the past, it speaks in the future, and it will speak forever. When I read scripture, the lens that I approach with is usually not one of trying to learn something. And I'm not going to fault knowledge acquisition and learning big, complex things at all, because that's really important to be able to put things together. But my brain, it's a lot like a colander, okay? got a lot of holes in it and I will read something and I will immediately forget where it's at so as I read scripture what I do is I approach it with the idea of what do I do with this how does this affect my life God what needs to change in my life you know the word is active it's supposed to be speaking in me in many of my relationships we talk about scripture you know I even talked about scripture with my non-christian friends You know, we may not use the word, hey, this came from the Bible, but boy, those are biblical truths that we're talking about. And I'll be honest, what to say about the subject today as soon as I dove into it has really been stressful, right? And I can't even think what Connie had to go through when she was doing the Trinity. Why is it stressful Because when you get into this mode of thinking, 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 trying to figure out all of this stuff in Scripture, what does this parable mean? Is it now? Is it in the future? Am I going to get in? Am I not going to get in? You get stuck. And you get stuck in a recursive loop. And you just keep spinning and spinning and spinning. Or at least I do. So many questions. And I was explaining my quandary to Elena. She hit me up with something so simple, yet so deep. And I'm going to paraphrase this because she said... It, to me way too late at night um, she said what if it's a lot more about the king than what we think about the kingdom of god and when it's coming let me say that again what if this whole conversation it boils down to the king and the king is central it's not about when the kingdom of god comes or is not come yet it's not about these parables now those are very very important but sometimes When we get into this idea of knowledge acquisition trying to learn the most we can from the bible we lose sight of the king as we're trying to keep all these mental balls in the air it's just really easy to lose sight of it and it's quite silly to take the king out of the kingdom you see because if i went to any girl in this room we don't have any little girls in this room anymore but say i went to thea and i said okay thea what does a kingdom have She would probably say, Well, a princess. But where does a princess come from? Well, a princess comes from a king and a queen. So, as adults, boring adults, we tend to quickly lose sight of the idea that every king has a kingdom. We lose sight that, as citizens of that kingdom, we are citizens of that kingdom when we accept Christ, that we are allegiant to him, that we are solely allegiant to that king. We may remember sometimes that we're citizens of the kingdom. You know, maybe in our head we remember it on a bad day, or maybe in our heart we remember it, but we may not fully remember it. So if we are citizens of this kingdom, and the kingdom has come, and the kingdom has a king, a glorious king, a righteous king, a holy king that we see throughout Scripture, a king like no other, where does our allegiance lay? If we shift our perspective from a looking at the kingdom approach to looking at the king approach, it changes how we look at Scripture. We see passages like Luke 9, 23, where Jesus tells us to lay it all down. And I mean everything in our lives. He says, pick up our cross and follow him. There aren't any conditional statements in this. It isn't after I do X. It isn't only when it's convenient. It isn't when it's only something that's comfortable it's always follow him pick up our cross and if we jump into the gospels out of the gospels and listen to pastor paul we hear in romans romans thanks Uh, we hear in romans him say and so dear brothers and sisters i plead with you to give your bodies to god because of all he has done for you let them be living and holy sacrifices the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. And if we jump uh, further into the letters from Paul, into Galatians, we see, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in the earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, we are a new creation in Christ. We are made new. And these passages, they paint this picture of what allegiance to our king looks like. It's about laying ourselves all the way down. It's about giving God our desires, giving God our goals, and recognizing that God wants to create a new creation in us and being okay with that. When we are allegiant to the king and our view is solely on the king, What our life looks like should mirror what Jesus wants it to look like. When we are allegiant to the king, what breaks our heart should break his heart. What his heart breaks for, our heart should break for. It means that we need to have a solid solid understanding of what scripture is. All of scripture. You know, sometimes as Christians, we gravitate towards those verses that they feel, Oh, that feels so nice. You know, like I gravitate towards the Psalms when I'm having a bad day. But sometimes we need to actually read the whole Bible, both the Old and the New Testament, because we'll find that there's parts that really rub us differently. We need to steer away from just sticking to the warm, fuzzy parts. There's parts that will confront our personal and political ideologies and challenge us. All of Scripture is a view of the King. There's parts that are easy to do. There are parts that are hard to do. There are parts that will show utterly how weak I am. When we are allegiant to the king first, that means that all of our ideologies, how we think, how we feel, what's important to us, they need to be in line with him. It means that Jesus is first, second, and third, all the way out to the nth. And you want to know what? N is affinity. Okay, nice way to rephrase that equation. But N is affinity, which means that Christ needs to affect us everything that we do this means how we treat our neighbors how we treat our kids our co-workers our friends and even those we don't like oh especially those that we don't like how we treat those needs to exude what the king would want that to be like so in the next few moments here we're going to do something a little different because james isn't here but i got his blessing we're gonna have a time of silent contemplation. And I know um, that contemplation sounds hard, but really we've been doing it all morning. Contemplation is really just about asking questions and then dialoguing with the king. It's good for us. So I know silence can also be hard, not just the asking questions and having the dialogue, but the silence can be hard in our society. So I've asked him to play in the background to kind of give something that your mind can focus on as well as the words, uh, since some people need that. And as we do this, and Tim's strumming, every few moments here I'm going to give you a new topic to think about. So let's close our eyes. Okay. Take a few moments to breathe in and breathe out deeply. Slowly push the thoughts of the day to the edge of your mind. Maybe you had a hard time coming to church because your kids took too long. Push that to the edge. Maybe you're thinking about what's for lunch or a problem in your life. Push those to the edge. Take time to invite Jesus into your mind right now, purposely saying, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Meet with me. Meet with us. Speak to us. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us. Meet with us today. Father God, please reveal times where we have not realized our brokenness and come to you to fix that broken in the brokenness in us. Take a few moments to invite Jesus into that brokenness that we might feel today. He wants to hear it. He wants to be there with you. Lord Jesus, please reveal times where we haven't approached you meekly this week, where we haven't submitted to you in a quiet, humble, and gentle way. Take a few moments to reflect on what godly meekness looks in your life, and dialogue with the King about that right now. God of the Old Testament and the New Testament is very concerned with justice and righteousness. We see it written throughout Scripture. Holy Spirit revealed to us what godly righteousness and justice looks like in our lives. Spend a few moments dialoguing about that with the King. Lord Jesus, as our King, you call us to be merciful. Please open opportunities for us to show mercy this week to our friends, to our family, to our neighbors. Take a few moments to invite Christ into giving us a heart and a desire for mercy this week for all. Father God, you call us to be peacemakers. Holy Spirit, be present with us this week, illuminating areas in our lives where the King's peace should abound. Take a few moments to talk to God about his desire for peace in our lives. Lift up people who are struggling at this time. Father God, as we go about this coming week, we ask that you give us heartbeats for your word and then a desire to live it out in our neighborhoods. Use us to bring change to your world. Use us to love our neighbors in extravagant new ways that reveal just how deeply you love us and how deeply you love them. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you be center of our lives this week. Lord Jesus, we pledge our allegiance to you as our king, our only king, higher than no other. We ask that you help us serve you well this week. And all the citizens of God's kingdom said, Amen.